Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. Unuhi te pō te pō whirimarama. Tomukia te ao te ao whatatakitangata. Tātai ki runga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahurau. Hemi e hui e tai ki e. Kia ora tātou, haere mai, and welcome to the Kōhunga Kūtai online field trip. Ko Shelley Taku Ingoi, your learns Kayarahi on this field trip, which is supported by Sustainable Seas. So I'm talking to you from Utiputi, Dunedin. It's a bit of a drizzly old day today. And we've also got Barry from the Learns Office in, in Otatahi Christchurch, and our two experts, Tiao and Brad. And I'll give them a chance to introduce themselves. Tiao. I'm Tiao and I work for the Ngāti Manuhiri Settlement Trust and I'm working on the Kohunga Kūtai as the Kairaranga, the weaver. Um, my role up here is the Kairarahi Taiao, so I look after the wider environment within um, our area. And um, I'm sitting in the beautiful area of uh, Puhenui, which is Walkworth, um, not, not too far from uh, Pākeri. Morena koutou. Kia ora, and Brad. Uh, yep, morning everyone, I'm Brad, and I'm a scientist uh, in the Institute of Marine Science at the University of Auckland, uh, and I work on muscle spat and muscle biology and, and muscle aquaculture. So, yeah. Excellent, and hopefully our speaking school, Southern School in Kirikiriroa, Hamilton, have already seen Brad and Tiao in our videos. We were lucky enough to meet these people in person up in Mahurangi, Walkworth and record videos with them and explore the Kohanga Kutai project. And we've got some great questions about that this morning. So welcome to our speaking school. Unfortunately, this morning your video is not working. So we're imagining you in your classroom, um, all those enthusiastic faces and those great questions that you've got for us this morning. And I believe Toby was going to start us off. Yes. Um... Hello, my name is Toby and I'm here in 8KMA in Hamilton. Um, and we have um, some very um, clean, green, passionate kids in this class. And we really enjoyed the Sea Week project that we did. We even made a magazine on it. And um, it's quite a cool magazine. So, yeah, and we'll have some good questions this morning. Kia thanks, Toby. Shapes Our World, which is our inquiry. So our inquiry is on who and what shapes our world and sustainable seas is what we were doing as part of Sea Week. So. Brilliant. Hey, I'd love to see that magazine that you've created. You might be able to share that with us and we could possibly share it on the website to inspire some other students from out throughout the uh, what's through the country. So that would be cool if you're able to do that. Um, yeah. But awesome to hear about your work and how passionate you are as greenies. I'm a bit of a greenie myself, so I have big smiles when you were talking about that. Well done. Okay, we'll get started with your questions. Can we have question number one, please? Toby. Um, my question is, how do marine reserves affect the overall fish population? Uh, great question to start with. Thank you. Brad, we'll start with you. Yep. 
Uh, so marine reserves usually have really positive impacts on fish populations. So they generally result in an increase in fish numbers and biomass. Um, and they also generally um, result in bigger fish living in reserves, which is good because bigger fish produce um, more offspring and contribute to the populations within the broader area, uh, much more than the, the smaller fish that are typically found outside of the marine reserves. So do you get more variety as well? Um, it helps sort of, yeah, it can improve the biodiversity within reserves as well. Yeah. Very cool. And Ziel, do you have anything to add there? Muted. Oh, you're on mute. It's a famous wakatake going around at the moment. Um, yes, we have uh, quite a few marine reserves within our rohe, and um, we participate in a lot of the, um, the kinabarans that are happening. We're actually out there extending some of the marine reserve areas, monitoring the works that's happening out there as well, trying to protect our, our fish and, and that for the future generations. So definitely. Kia ora. And I see Nicola has joined us. What in a Nicola? Passionate to be able to join us this morning because you're you're on the road. So so enthusiastic to uh, come and even though you're travelling, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, and we've we've got Southern School with us this morning, and they've just managed to make their video work. So that's fantastic to be able to see them. So Nicola, before we carry on with the questions, because we've had the first question, we'll give you a chance to introduce yourself. Oh, lovely. Um, morena koutou, uh, morena tamariki ma. Uh, my name's Nicola MacDonald. I'm the acting um, CE for Ngāti Manuhiri Settlement Trust and also um, part of the research team for Kohunga Kūtai. And it's lovely to see everybody this morning. I am driving through Matamata as we talk. So kia ora, everybody. Yeah, fantastic that you could join us. Kia ora. Thanks, Nicola. And we'll have question number two now, please. Question number two, coming right up from Thomas. And Thomas, now, we've got a really interesting uh, situation at the moment, of course, with hybrid teaching. We've got kids here, there and everywhere. And Thomas is actually at home. Oh, wow. Today. So he is coming to you live from the kitchen table. Just a moment. Yeah, hey, Thomas. <laughs> Welcome. Your question, um, Thomas. Yep. So my question is: If over time creatures like fish have evolved to adapt with um, problems, why can't they adapt to everyday problems now, like commercial fishing and climate change? Ah, that's a really thoughtful question. Thanks, Thomas. And great that you could join us from the kitchen table today. Yeah, um, yeah. So our experts, any ideas there? It's a, a pretty important question. Brad? Uh, yeah, it's quite a, quite a good and broad question. Um, I think when you think of evolution, you need to remember that evolution takes place over really long periods of time. So over time scales of sort of hundreds of millions of years. Um, but when you consider factors such as commercial fishing, they take place over something like 10, 20, 30 years time. So uh, species don't really have time to adapt to changes in, in commercial fishing, particularly in the case of the mussel beds throughout New Zealand, which were fished out within about a 10 year period. Um, so when you take it and when you remove all the animals, there's no animals left to reproduce, to produce offspring that can change and, and evolve over time. Yeah, so we're talking about processes that happen really quickly, whereas adaptation happens quite slowly. I guess it's a bit like if you throw 
me from Otiputi Dunedin, quite a cold place, <laughs> onto a tropical island, all of a sudden I might suffer quite a lot. Whereas if I just traveled there slowly by boat, I'm sure I'd adapt. It's a little bit like that, but over much long, longer timescales. Um, Nicole or Otiel, do you have anything to add there? Oh, Kilda, yeah. I think the other thing to really consider is that. When we, when we look at uh, fish species and uh, consider the ocean as an economic resource and we start to commercialise all of the natural world and the natural resource, then um, our demand on, um, on those fish species keeps increasing. Hence the reason why uh, right across the ocean space, particularly in the Hauraki Gulf, we've got huge levels of deprivation and degradation. So we really need to look at ensuring that um, uh, the economics do not outweigh the environment. And so that's a really good question that we've got to keep asking ourselves, making sure that the environment comes first and that we look at other ways of ensuring economic prosperity. Kia ora. Mm, kia ora. Yeah, really important to think about. And I guess there's a lot more people around now than there used to be, whereas fish populations have gone the other way because there's more people around eating them and changing the environment. Really good question. Thanks, Thomas. And question number three now, please. Yeah. Hi, um, my question is how can we prevent too much photoplankton from harming sea plants and creatures that's Mia yeah another good question thank you who would like to start I guess I'll start on that one um so phytoplankton are, are microscopic marine algae um which are little plants which form the basis of marine food webs um, and then all the animals such as mussels that occupy low sort of uh, places in the food chain feed on phytoplankton so phytoplankton are actually really crucial to the health of the oceans um, and are a good thing a lot of the time. Um, occasionally you can have harmful phytoplankton blooms take place, which can um, cause uh, problems for sea creatures. Um, but a lot of the time, um, those, those harmful blooms are also uh, natural occurrences, um, but human activities uh, can um, contribute to the likelihood of them taking place. Kia ora. So we're, we're talking about, you know, those extreme um, occasions when there's blooms and, and you might have seen that both in freshwater and in, in saltwater. Um, but yeah, phytoplankton, key to our marine ecosystems. Nicola Tiao, do you have anything you want to add there? All good. Kia ora. Thanks, Mia. And question four, please. Hi, Shannon. Um, hi. So my question is, how long will natural fibre ropes last compared to plastic ones? And are they cost efficient? Ah, Shannon, yeah, this is a really important question to this project. And I know all these people here have been thinking about that and testing it and working on it. So who would like to kick us off with that? Kia ora, Shannon. So we're hoping that it will last a lot longer than the ropes that they're using now, the plastic ropes. So with a bit of luck, um, we can produce a good amount of um, 
fibers to to create an amazing rope that will last and help our spat to grow and so for us it's about um running some tests at the moment we've got some fibers in the sea with bread and they're doing some special tests to see how long and which fibers last the longest with the sea inside the sea itself so um and and they're being exposed to different elements so you've got the different tides the the currents the different sea creatures that are around it as well the movement of the sea the sea is constantly moving it's alive so just seeing how our fibers will last once bread lets me know which are the top three and then we're going to start making ropes from there awesome and brad what are some of those tests that you've been doing uh, so we hung uh, bunches of fibers out in the water to see how long they they would last and whether or not they would stand and um, being exposed to the sea and retain their strength and when we found a couple of species it did really well and now we've got those out at farms throughout new zealand to see if they, they catch muscle spat and their initial results are looking pretty promising so that's good so there's two parts to it whether they catch spat and grow yep. them and whether the whether the fibers stand up Exactly. Nicola, have you got something you want to add there? Yeah, I just wanted to sort of, um, you know, whether the fibres will stand up and um, really just talk about that this is a sustainable resource. So when we think about where we are globally, we've been in a, a massive pandemic an opportunity that should the research uh, show that our natural fibres can replace plastic ropes and are more uh, sustainable, then there's an opportunity where we can grow haharakeke um, plantations, where we can support our, um, our local hapu, iwi, mana whenua and communities. And bear in mind that um, Harikiki plantations are not new for Māori in the 21st century. We had huge plantations right across for hundreds of years. So it's a wonderful opportunity to reinstill the cultural matauranga and provide something that actually is less harmful to the taiao. So um, we're all hoping that, um, that we have some successful outcomes here because they're successful, all of us, for our oceans, uh, for ourselves as communities, and of course, to better and to lessen our impacts. Kia ora. Yeah, really important that we think about the big picture rather than just the cost of the rope itself the whole um, process of it being made and how it breaks down and how the community can get behind making something um, rather than just having a machine make it from something that's not natural. So really cool project. Kia ora. Thanks, Nicola. And we're now up to question five, please. Um, so how do waste from aquaculture farms affect the surrounding marine ecosystems? Ah, another good question. And I know Brad, Brad is involved in the industry. So, um, Brad. Uh, good question. Are you talking about waste from the animals themselves or, or from the farms, so, like plastic? Yeah, farms. Just... Farms. So, um, so when plastic can um, leach off the ropes and stuff, it can um, cause issues for fish and any other species that the, uh, the plastic accumulates in, and it can um, produce toxins, and it can be quite poisonous to fish. Um, other than the plastic, uh, most of the mussel farms in New Zealand are pretty clean and green. There's not anything that um, really causes any environmental issues. So does the plastic 
if it degrades and ends up being taken up by fish as toxin, does that go up to the up the food chain and we eat it, or does it yep. break down before that? Uh, it definitely accumulates in, in the higher trophic levels of things like fish. Yep. And just probably to add to that, uh, recently Dr. Rochelle Constantine uh, did a um, released a research paper on uh, microplastics. And one of the things that was really shocking about the research is that it identified over three and a half million microplastics are digested daily by whales individually. So what that really highlights to us is that uh, we've got pollution, plastics pollution is an issue in our, in our uh, taiao. Um, of course, there are land-based um, sedimentation, uh, land-based activities that can add to sedimentation. But when we think about kohunga kūtai, there's an opportunity for us to think: Can we reduce the level, the number of plastics? And um, certainly, I know none of us want to see that um, those increasing levels of microplastics. So, whatever we can do to reduce that, um, let's that. Um, our research um, gives us that way forward. Kia ora. yeah, it's it's um, a lot like other environmental problems. You know, we've been doing things, little things for a long period of time and those little things add up. So if we can start do, doing little things in the other direction, those changes will add up as well and, and start to um, show themselves as an improvement in the health of our, our tile, our environment. Another fabulous question, and we're up to the last question now, please. Um, if our marine wildlife are dying because of plastic and litter in the ocean, is there a way to, like, stop it? Thanks. That's Sasha, is it? Yep. Thanks, Sasha. Who would like to start? Um, uh, the best way to stop it is to stop putting uh, plastic into the ocean, uh, which is basically what this project is working at trying to achieve, to try to replace the plastic ropes with natural fibres so that we don't have to keep putting plastic in the ocean. Um, in terms of long-term fixes, there's a lot of people throughout the world trying to come up with ways to fix the problem. At the moment, it's still a major problem, um, but there, there's a plenty of opportunity to come up with new innovative approaches to uh, getting rid of plastics as well as stop putting them in the ocean. Yeah, uh, total call, Brad. And thank you, Sasha. That's a great question, especially for young people like yourselves. Now, this whole week um, has been about Sea Week and really about uh, promoting our beautiful ocean. So we can start the small little changes we do in our own homes, with our own whanau, our families and communities, absolutely affects huge change. And one of the things that we can do is if we go into the beach, take our rubbish home with us. If we're on boats, making sure that we're careful with, um, with what we use so things don't um, uh, mistakenly tip into the ocean. They're all little things that add up to the big picture. And I think that's the power of, um, the power of collectivism and when we're united. All of these small things add to a greater change, just in the same way as our scientists are looking and examining um, the science around um, 
reducing pollution, reducing impacts and risks, we too, in terms of um, being a community, can contribute in a positive way. So I think that's a really good question. And uh, that actual question reminds me of um, how we need to look at the world as being kaitiaki, being stewards, stewards for our environment. Kia ora. And you guys might have come up with things as part of this study to try and reduce your use of, of plastic. It'd be wonderful if you could share those ideas with us. So thank you so much, Southern School. You've obviously um, thought hard about those questions this morning and been working hard on um, finding out more about the marine ecosystem and the Kohunga Kutai project. So well done. Good effort. We've got a few more minutes to answer any extra questions that you may have, or if you want to talk to us about some of the changes that perhaps you're now motivated to make to try and reduce plastic use, that'll be cool as well. But what you can do is you can go down to the bottom of the screen, um, hover over the icons and you'll see one that says chat. If you click on that, you can type in some extra questions for us. And you're the only ones involved. So if you want to talk to us as well, that's cool too. I've got one to get us started. So how much of a problem is modern fabrics being washed, like in our washing machines, and releasing microplastics into grey water that ends up in the ocean? Is that, a, is that a big contributor, like stuff we do on land ending up in, this, in the ocean rather than what we do in the ocean affecting the ocean? Fred? <laughs> uh, good question. Um, I know they're definitely a problem. Um, microplastics isn't necessarily a, where I'm my expertise lies but i know they definitely contribute um a, a major portion of, of the plastics that end up in the ocean but i can't can't tell you the relative contribution to other other um other factors sorry a lot of people don't know about it do they no no and it's it's even starting to think about oh okay do i actually know what my clothes are made of and looking at the labels and then doing a bit of googling because there's so much language out there about um, materials and I've, I've kind of got into this and I've had to use, use Google a lot to find out what some of these terms mean because sometimes they sound natural and they're not. Sometimes they sound really bad and they're not. So you, you've got to do your own homework and think about what you're buying and where it's going to end up because, you know, I've got my favourite pair of um you know, pants that get washed a dozen times and then they start to look a bit thin and shabby and it's like, well, what happened to that material? And yep. I guess some of it ends up in the water. Nicola? Well, I think one of the other things that we've got to, and this is a good stretch for our students here this morning, is um, when we think about New Zealand is going through a major water reform and there are three parts to that reform, drinking water, storm water, and wastewater. So in relation to the question, Barry, that you've asked, we should be thinking, in what ways does the reform actually reduce the impacts of microplastics through wastewater and stormwater that leads out to the ocean space? And are we asking the questions of the reform? Are we actually applying those really basic environmental questions? You know, and um, those are the things that um, I think are really exciting um, and they're and they're top of mind right now. It's happening now. We're looking at consultation. So I'd really encourage young people um, to participate and to look at um, look at microplastics in a simple way 
Thanks, Nicola. We lost you for a moment there, but I think we got, got the gist of what you're saying. And for Southern School, it might be that you want to um, try and organise a visit to your wastewater plant and see what happens there. And you might be able to ask the experts there, are they able to filter out microplastics from, from grey water before it's released out into the moana? Yeah, I'd be really interested to know that as well. And I can see a student there. Have you got a question for us? Oh, I can see it typed in there. Um, regarding plastic and how we should change, how do you think it will affect society morally and their will to change? Oh, that's a big question. Thank you. So that question's typed in the, in the chat window. Anyone keen to start us off? So moral issues. Hmm. I, I think partly it's an awareness issues. thing. Don't, you, don't yeah. you think it's partly an awareness thing? If people don't know the effect of what they're doing and are not educated about it, they won't change. And some people won't change anyway, but a lot of people will. For instance, recycling, you know, Worldwide, there's an enormous amount of recycling done, and 50 years ago, no one did it. So people will change. Years ago, people didn't pick up their dog poo, and now most people do. Yeah, one, one thing I've found is that when you're trying to replace plastic with other things, sometimes it seems more expensive um, to try and get something that's not plastic. But if more of us keep buying the things that aren't plastic, then um, we start to uh, form a demand for those things and they'll become cheaper. So sometimes we've got to take the hit to start with um, and change and cause more change and get other people on board. So it's a good question. And I think that's one that you can think about as a class more and discuss as well. The big war recently has been about single-use plastics. Um, so... I don't think if you've got something that you buy that's made of plastic and it lasts 10 years and you use it, that's pretty good. But if you just use it once and chuck it out, that's a terrible hit on the environment. Yeah. And we've got another question here. Which animals are affected most by microplastics? We might be getting out of the realms of our experts' knowledge, but I'm sure you guys have got some ideas. Uh, yeah, so we're starting to learn that pretty much every animal is affected by microplastics um, from mussels through to fish through to whales. Um, but the major problem is that the plastics accumulate through the food chain. So the bigger animals that eat the smaller animals end up with more numbers of plastic in them and it can kill them. It can block their guts and, and cause some pretty major issues. There'll be some fish that we eat that are top of the food chain that have got all of that accumulated stuff in them. Most of the fish we eat, yeah. How do, the, how do microplastics affect mussels? Uh, we know they're present in mussels. We don't know whether they're toxic to the mussels or not. So, but then it's a problem for us if we go and eat those mussels and we've got plastics in them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And any other questions from Southall School this morning? Actually, Sasha can just ask it, I think. Just yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Because... Uh, Coral bleaching is obviously a very bad thing and it's probably caused by um, like 
climate change and like water quality. Is there any way that you can like like cool the water or like make it better quality so the corals aren't dying? Hmm, good question. Uh, so as, as far as I'm aware, coral bleaching is, occurs due to elevated seawater temperatures. Um, so the best thing we can do is try to limit the, the increase in seawater temperature um, by reducing global warming. Um, yeah. And that's only by reducing CO2, our carbon footprint, is it? Uh, yeah, you can try to uh, limit the, the increase in, in uh, temperature rise. Yep. Yeah, and we've actually got another field trip um, coming up on um, our changing climate and we're looking at things that you can do to help combat climate change. So that might be another field trip that you want to get involved in. Okay, um, any other questions? Our experts have done a wonderful job answering them. Up you come, just come up and, and ask it, Talia. Thanks, Talia. Just come and take a seat. Um, this isn't extremely related, but what inspired you to get into your field, like your job that you have right now? Ah, that is a good question. Um, and we'll just go around our experts. Um, we'll start with Tiao. Sorry, what was the question? I couldn't hear her, her clearly, sorry. How did you um, get so into your line of work? What inspired you to get into your line of work? Um, just growing up with fibres, it's been a great opportunity um, living uh, with the whenua and learning some of the, the history of the fibres and weaving with them. Um, just learning about how the different um, tikangas in which we learn, like a process in which we do things, our matauranga Māori, learning about the different um, ways to harvest them and just being involved in that naturally um, became a great opportunity for us to, to put our knowledge into use and it, being part of this project has been an amazing opportunity for us to actually bring some of the knowledge that we've learned growing up, learning and, and living amongst it and bringing it to the forefront. And it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity for us to highlight our, um, our expertise, I guess, in some of the fibres and, and looking at how we can actually um, help support this programme and reduce the plastic that's out in the moana. So uh, it's just sort of something I really grew into and, and have loved and enjoyed and, and been given the opportunity um, by Nicola. It brought me into this opportunity and I'm really, really honoured to be here to help uh, provide some sustainable ropes. So that's Kia ora, thanks, Dion. And Nicola. Yeah, thank you. Kia ora, Tiao. And, um, you know, it's... I think if you have a love for the natural world and taiao, then it, um, any part along that supply chain that you want to pursue is an important part of being a kaitiaki. And so for me, in my whānau, uh, we have been um, nurtured and uh, really inspired to tiaki the whenua and to look after all of those natural precious taonga because if we don't then they become extinct and we no longer have them so the challenge for all of us is to think about the pathways forward and grow yourself as a kaitiaki to tiaki te whenua tiaki te moana because it will be for you 
and your families and your future generations. That's what inspires me and that's why I do the mahi that I do. And just like Tiao, we love it. Kia ora. Thanks, Nicola. And Brad. Yeah, um, so I'm an aquaculture scientist, so I work um, improving uh, efficiency of marine farming. Um, and I'm really passionate about New Zealand's primary industries and as well as I love spending time in and on the ocean. So I was quite lucky in that I'm able to sort of combine the two and, and be involved in um, scientific research, which I absolutely love, and um, improving New Zealand's clean and green aquaculture industry. Brilliant. Thank you. And we've probably got time for one more question if there are any other questions. Otherwise, we can we can wrap it up. We've got one more from Abby. Good stuff. Thanks, Abby. Uh, my question is just where do you find like the main um, source of plastics in the ocean it comes from? What's the main place they come from? Is it like commercial fishing? Is it just people's um, just rubbish, general waste, or is it from somewhere else? Uh, good question. And I'm not sure whether you you guys are aware of the answer or not, but uh, Brad? Uh, plastics come from a, a huge range of sources, from commercial fishing, from pollution, from aquaculture. Um, I'm not sure what the, the dominant source of plastic is. I'm not sure if it's very uh, easy to to work out where the, the majority of the plastic comes from, but it's all human-produced uh, waste products, effectively. Yeah, and one thing that you could do is um, if you've got a local beach, um, you could do some rubbish collection and then try and work out where the rubbish has come from, and that might give you more of an idea of what's causing problems in your local area. It may not, you know, be what's happening globally, but it's certainly going to help with your knowledge of what's ha happening in your own neighbourhood. I know other classes have done such things and shared their, their work with even the industries that have um, produced the plastics in the first place. So then we can start to put pressure on, on those industries and say, hey, well, can you change to, say, a natural fibre instead of plastic? So we, we can play our part. Kia ora koutou. Thank you so much to... Southern School for coming up with such great questions this morning and a big thank you to our experts Nicola, Tiao and Brad it's been awesome to have you with us this morning and thanks Nicola for joining us even though you're on the road travelling um, and I think Southern School's got something to finish us off with Hi my name's Claudia um, on behalf of AKMA I'd like to thank all the experts for their time and their effort with answering our questions. Um, I know personally, I certainly enjoyed learning about how you plan on replacing the plastic ropes with natural fiber ropes. So yeah, thank you very much for your time. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Brilliant. Kilda, Claudia, um, on behalf of Nati Manuhiri, I'd just like to leave all of you with a whakatauki a proverb for all of you and I'm going to put it in the chat box so you can see the kōrero and it says hei tiaki te whenoa, hei tiaki te moana, hei tiaki te whānau, he kaitiaki koe, he kaitiaki o. Look after and protect our lands and seas, look after our family and next generations. You are a guardian and I am a guardian. Mauri ora, kia ora. Thanks.
ora. What a great whakatoki to end on. Thank you, Nicola. And thank you very much, everyone. We can now say a big goodbye. Kakita ano. Hope you have a great day. Bye. And hope you can join us on another field trip soon. Thanks, everyone. Apologies, apologies for the uh, slow start, but we got there in the end. We did. Right. Good, good job. Well done. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. And that brings our web conference to an end.